to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, first 10 verses. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there in the rows, it's page 972. And let me just say this, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you, okay? So please take that, it's yours, we want you to have a Bible that you can read uh, at any time, uh, so please take that, and uh, we would love for you to, uh, to receive that as uh, just a simple gift from us. Let's, uh, let's pray again as we dive into God's Word. Father, we are grateful for your Word. Lord, we need, we need your truth uh, to set us free, to give us life to show us the steps that we need to take. Father, we're in constant need of guidance. We're in constant need of your light so that we can walk in light and, and, and shine the light that you desire for us too. And so, Father, in these moments, Lord, we pray that we would not receive this uh, as a routine, as something that we do every week, but that it would be uh, received as what it is, the word of God, a word from you, your revelation to us. Uh, so, Lord, as, as we open your word and as we, as we consider what you want to speak to us by your spirit this morning, Lord, we pray that we would receive it with humility and gratitude. And most of all, Lord, we pray that we would, we would walk in obedience because you're worthy of our lives, you're worthy of our praise. So we, we submit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been following the news this week, Probably much like any week, you, you, would, you would probably conclude that the world that we live in is, is mired by unrest and conflict. We can just look at what happened in, in Kenya. Dozens of people ruthlessly murdered, innocent men, women, and children, murdered at the hands of, of evil men. And we see the conflict that's going on there. We should pray for the church and the people in Kenya and ask God to do a work there and and, and, and turn their mourning uh, into praise, their, their ashes into beauty. God is a God who can do that. And so we should pray for Kenya. We can hop across the globe and then look at Syria. The atrocities that have happened there over the past month or so, the civil war that has been going on there for months, the global conversation that has now been sparked. What are we going to do about this as a global community? And Added to that, now you have global powers like Russia and Iran in on the conversation, so the potential for conflict just continues to escalate. So we see conflict on a global scale, and, and we see conflict even on a national scale. You look at, at what's going on in, 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 in our government, and we're on the brink of a shutdown over Obamacare. So what's going to happen there? There's conflict outside of our country. There's conflict within our country. And there is conflict that is happening every day of our lives. If I were to have, you know, maybe a five minutes with you and we kind of got below the question, how are you doing? Like we sometimes do when we see each other, which is a great question. We want to know, right? But it's like, yeah, it was a pretty good week or whatever. But, but if we really, you know, spent more than that few minutes and we drilled down to what's going on at a deeper level, we would probably all say, yeah, there was some conflict that happened in my life. I mean, just for example, Saturday morning, I'm driving in my car, the rotary near our house, and I think I'm already in the rotary feeling good about it, just ready to come through. And, and I get this guy, he had his window rolled down, so it was really easy. And he just starts throwing adjectives my way. I can't repeat them here in this moment, okay? Wouldn't do that. But I mean, it was, he was mad. And I was kind of like, man, dude, I'm sorry. I don't know what I did. I think I was already here and you were like way back there. But I mean, there, there's conflict there. And there was 
conflict in our home this weekend over princess slippers, okay? Now, you'll be glad to know it wasn't part of the conflict, right? It was between our little girls, okay? But, but there was conflict there. There's conflict, seems like, everywhere. So what are, we, what are we to do about this conflict? I mean, what would bring people together? That's a good question to ask. If, if there is so much conflict going on, then what would bring people together, unify people in such a way that we can move forward in more than just a peaceable manner, but in a, in a real sense of peace manner, like shalom, like the Bible talks about peace, which means flourishing in all aspects of life. I think we could throw a few uh, suggestions out there and say that if, if there was a common focus and goal, that might be good for this group of people. If there was a common passion, if there were common values, in other words, if, if what I love and what you love are congruent, if what makes me upset and makes you upset are congruent, if we mourn over the same things, if we rejoice over the same things, all of those are reflective of the same value system, which would then tell us something about a common love, that we have affections that are in line, they're pursuing the same thing. What if I were to tell you that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that that kind of community could be formed? Because that is exactly what happens in the pages of the Bible. That we find that Jesus came not just to show us an example and a way, all right, and a path of wisdom, although he did that, but Jesus came, bled and died, rose again, so that a new community of people could be formed who would reflect all of his values, all of his loves, all of his passions, and that's what's going to bring ultimate peace and unity to our world. So this morning, I want to talk to us about what it means to experience gospel unity. And then here's the, the main, the main uh, point that I want you to hear this morning is this. The gospel builds a community that is united around the same gospel, okay? The gospel builds a community that is united around the same gospel. This is what we see in Galatians chapter 2. Let's read the first two verses together. Paul writes, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so the first truth I want you to see about unity is that unity is centered around gospel proclamation. All right? Unity is centered around gospel proclamation. What Paul says is he says, after 14 years, we can't know conclusively, but he probably means 14 years after his conversion, road to Damascus, we looked at that last week, he goes back to Jerusalem after his first trip, which if that timeline is correct, would have been 11 years previous, and he goes back to set before them, he says, the gospel that he proclaims. 
Now, we automatically ask the question, well, why did Paul go to Jerusalem to set before them the gospel that he proclaims? I mean, does Paul need help with his gospel? Does he need to some validation from the apostles in Jerusalem to say, hey, Paul, yeah, after 14 years, you still have it right? Well, well, here's what's going on, okay? Paul did not go back to Jerusalem so that he could get validation on the gospel that he proclaimed. We know this because, after all, he'd been preaching it for 14 years. In the first chapter, he said that if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one that you received, in, order to the, in other words, the one that he preached when he went to Galatia, as we think we see in Acts 12 and 13 and 14, that they should be condemned, eternally accursed. So Paul's pretty confident about his gospel. Why did he go back then? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 2, he says, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul wants to make sure that the gospel that he is proclaiming is, is congruent with with, with the Jerusalem apostles, not because he's concerned that there is not a, a, a same message, but what he wants to make sure is that the fruit of the gospel is as expansive as it possibly can be. Because what is going to happen? If the, if the leaders in Jerusalem say, yeah, Paul, we're on board with that and all these issues that we're going to look at, uh, we're on the same page, that's going to nullify the work of the false teachers back in Galatia, all right? And then also, it's going to enhance, maximize the fruitfulness that is coming from Paul's ministry. My mission is the same as their mission. My gospel is the same as their gospel. And so there's going to be maximum fruitfulness as the gospel goes both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And I love this picture of what he says, I, I was not running. I wanted to make sure that I would was not running or had not run in vain. That tells us two really important things about Paul's view of ministry. Number one, it tells us that Paul worked very hard when it came to his gospel ministry. Okay, so some people, all right, have the, the idea that missionaries or pastors, you know, they only work on Sundays, all right, and, you know, it's just a few meetings here, there, maybe write a little sermon, and it's a piece of cake, a breeze. Well, well Paul would just contend with that I would too, all right, that, that, man, Paul is running hard. He doesn't say, man, I'm walking, I'm strolling through the park here, everything's is, is a breeze in life. He's saying, I am running hard, I am sweating, I am breathing very hard because the gospel is that important and that worthy of maximum effort every single day. But then number two, he wanted to make sure that this ministry that he was working really hard in counted for all eternity. So, so in other words, again, Paul is after maximum fruitfulness out of his labors. He wanted to make sure that as the gospel was advancing, that the goal of Christ and the goal of Christ's likeness in the lives of the people that, that were hearing the gospel from Paul we're, we're, we're really bearing fruit for God. And this is what we see over and over through Paul's letters. Take Philippians 2, for example. He says, hey, do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you'll shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And then, and then how does he end that? He says, so that on the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Do you see this? So Paul's saying, I wanted to make sure that, that your life matched up with the gospel. 
that you are really pursuing holiness, that you are really shining like a star, blameless, not complaining, holding to the word of life. And he says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul's concern. We see this all throughout. We see this in Galatians. We see this in Colossians. Why does he work so hard? Why does he proclaim Christ? So that he might present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal is not just to come into the Christian life and everything's cool, you have your ticket to heaven punched, but it is so that you can become more like Christ, glorify God with your life, that your life is being changed down to the minutest detail. So this is what Paul was about. And in what we see here in these first two verses is that unity must be built on the same gospel foundation. So if you are talking a different gospel, which Paul says there really is no other one, if we're talking about two different gospels, then we really can't be in lockstep on matters of eternal significance. And if there is eternity, and, 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 and consequently, these matters are of eternal significance, then we probably want to make sure we're in agreement when it comes to the message of the gospel. So unity is centered around gospel proclamation. Number two, unity is a motivator for gospel perseverance. Look in verses three through six with me. This is what Paul continues to write. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. He was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy at our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Okay, so what we have here is Paul introduces Titus. And Titus was one of Paul's traveling companions. He was someone that, that was co-laboring with him, uh, someone that Paul had led to faith in Christ. And so uh, what we learn here is, is something that we want to cultivate a culture of at Redemption Hill, that just as Paul took people who were younger in the faith, newer in the faith, and he took them under their wing and he said, hey, look, watch my life, watch my conduct, listen to my message, and imitate the very same things. This is what we want to see happening at Redemption Hill, where you have people that you can look to who are more mature in the faith, and you can learn from them, be mentored by them, and then you can, oh, by the way, take that and give that away to someone else who is maybe newer in the faith than you. So this was Paul's practice. This is what he does with Titus. He was a companion of Paul. He has a book of the Bible named after him because Paul wrote a letter to Titus telling him how to handle matters in the church in Crete. But then number two, Titus was not just a, a traveling companion. Paul says that he was a Greek. Now, what does this mean? It means that, that Titus was a Gentile convert who was uncircumcised. 
So, so the very debate, the very thing that the Judaizers in Galatia are saying that you need to, to be circumcised in order to really be approved by God and accepted by God and find salvation through Christ, it's Jesus plus circumcision. They're saying, hey, people like Titus, they're the problem. They're new to the faith and they're not following all the laws that Moses had laid down for us. They need to get things straightened out. And so what is circumcision? Circumcision was a practice that was handed down from God to Abraham to mark out the people of God. Okay, so, so people, and, and, and we're going to watch through Galatians as Paul hammers this home, that very from the very beginning with Abraham, it was never circumcision as a means to salvation because he's going to say faith come, came before circumcision. Circumcision was just an act by which people were saying, hey, I belong to the people of God. It was a symbol. It marked them out. But it was never required for salvation, and it certainly, Paul's going to say, is not required to be accepted and approved by God today. But this is what some were saying. The false brothers, and Paul uses some very intentional language to speak of how these false brothers were secretive. They snuck into the church the back way. They slipped in. And why did they slip in? Paul says they slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And why did they do that? It wasn't because they wanted the freedom that Christ brings for themselves. They actually slipped in to see the freedom that they had so that they could bring them into slavery. Now, Paul's going to speak a lot about slavery and freedom in the book of Galatians. Freedom is a metaphor for what is happening in our salvation. It's a picture of what happens when the truth of the gospel comes into someone's heart and they believe it and receive the salvation of Christ, then the truth sets them free. That's what Jesus said in John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. So there's freedom from our guilt you ever feel guilty about your sin? Did you carry guilt before you met Christ? Maybe some of you carry guilt daily that you know if you stood before God, you would be guilty as you could be. But the gospel frees us from our guilt. The gospel frees us from the penalty of our sin, the judgment and condemnation that were coming our way before Christ stood in our place, gave himself for our sins, Galatians 1.3 as our substitute, that he might take on that penalty and judgment that we deserved. The gospel frees us from that. And related to this, what is Paul talking about when he's talking about freedom here? Freedom through Galatians again and again and again is going to refer to freedom from the law. So the law is holy and good. God gave us the law to, to reflect his character, who he is. So by all means, we want to uphold the law, as Paul is going to say in Romans, uh, throughout Romans. But the law actually functions to show us our sin. Paul says, I didn't know what sin was until the, the law said, hey, don't covet, and then I'm seeing how covetous I am, like week after week. And so the law can never save us. It just shows us our flaws before God. And so what Paul means when he's saying it's for freedom that we, we have this in Christ, 
is that we are free from keeping the law's demands. Hey, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this in order to be righteous and holy before God. And what the gospel says is that Jesus did that, did that, did that through his perfect obedience and righteousness so that through faith in him, he gives us his righteousness and takes on our unrighteousness. So we're no longer, we're no longer enslaved to having to keep the law in order to be accepted and approved by God. Jesus did that on our behalf, and that is the gospel. So the false teachers are saying, hey, you have to do this in order to obtain salvation. But Paul is saying, look, absolutely not. This is why even when Titus was brought to Jerusalem, he did not have to be circumcised when he was among all these circumcised brothers in the faith. He says, we did not yield in submission to them even for a moment. Paul is so passionate about this. He's saying, we, we weren't going to, to bend or, or yield to them even in the slightest bit. And why did Paul do that? Well, remember, he is working so hard. Don't miss this. Why is Paul so agitated, so heated, so passionate in the book of Galatians? It's because he loved God, he loved God's gospel, and he loved God's people. That's why. And so he's saying, I am doing this. I'm not yielding in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He is doing all this on behalf of the people, verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And why is, why is Paul so passionate about this? Okay, don't miss this about, about adding rules and laws to, to earn God's approval. It's because when you add rules and laws to earn God's acceptance and approval, you know what happens? The Judaizers were saying, hey, this is going to set you free. Hey, if you do this and do this, you're going to be free. But Paul says, you know what? It's really like slavery. It's really like a heavy, heavy burden on your back that will absolutely cripple you and weigh you down until it crushes you into the ground. So what is legalism? Legalism is simply this. It is acceptance through performance. That's as concise as I could get it. Legalism is acceptance through performance. And this is how many people relate to God. This is how many people, I would say most people in the city of Medford and greater Boston relate to God. Me and AP3 were out sharing with the gospel a few months ago. Okay, that's Anthony Paula III, all right? If you didn't know his name was AP3, all right, just ask ask, and that's, that's what we call him. So say Anthony was, he was just trying to share a gospel track with this lady, and she was not having any of it, and she was like, I go to church, all right? And so AP just said, hey, is that, is that going to save you, like going to church? Is, is your religion going to save you? And you know what her response was? This was right here on Riverside F in the city of Medford. She says, if I'm good enough, What a dangerous, damning statement. Because you can never be good enough. But this is what legalism says. I want to climb the stairs of God's approval. And so if I, if I do this, and if I go to church, and if I, I participate in the sacraments, and if I, if I, if I am obedient enough, then, then God will accept me one day. 
But if that's our view, that we do not understand the holiness of God, and as we're going to see next week, that actually, what that does is that nullifies the work of Christ. Why did Jesus die? What's the cross all about if, if you could be good enough and earn your way to God? So Paul wants to free them from this message of, of legalism. Because, because what does legalism do? Okay, legalism, the legalistic person, the way that they view God and the way that they relate to God now is not one out of love and joy, which is what God wants for us. The legalist is now operating out of fear, insecurity, and resentment. You see that? Because what happens? Man, number one, if I have to appease God, then I'm going to be fearful that I could ever really do enough. But as I try to do enough, then I'm going to become resentful to God because he's demanding so much of me. God, what's, what's wrong with you? I, uh, and we're going to become bitter, and we're going to be laden with guilt. And so Paul understands this. He does not want these people to slip into slavery from this legalistic message of, of acceptance through performance. But he wants them to be freed so that they can experience what comes from the gospel of Christ. So that's why I'm saying unity is a motivator for gospel preservation. I, I'm doing all this so that the gospel might be preserved for you. And you say, well, that still doesn't make sense, Tanner. Well, this is, let me just explain it this way. When, when Paul was looking to the Galatians and he was seeing that they could be weighed down with these burdens, Paul is saying, if you're experiencing that, I'm experiencing that. So if you're weighed down with burdens, then, then I'm going to feel that because I'm we are now one. And when you hurt, I hurt. When, when you uh, are, 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 are enslaved, man, it's like I'm enslaved because I want you to progress in the faith. I mean, just flip over to Galatians 4, verse uh, 21, I believe. Nope. Verse 19. 419. Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So, so, so Paul, his, his concern is that they would grow in the faith, that Christ would be formed in them. And like a mother, okay, so some of you mothers can identify with this, and we've all seen what labor looks like, at least in Hollywood, which it probably isn't too far off, right, from sometimes, uh, what, the, what the labor room and delivery room looks like. It's anguish, it's agonizing to deliver a child. And this is what Paul is saying, man, I am agonizing. I'm in anguish until you mature in Christ. So Paul wants them to know the freedom of the gospel. He says that the Jerusalem leadership endorsed this message. This is what he means when he says, they added nothing to me. They added nothing else to my gospel. I did not have to change anything. This was, this was true. This was right. There's freedom here. And I love what he says in verse 6. It's too good to pass up. He says, and from those who seem influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. They added nothing. So in other words, what we do sometimes is we get so locked in on a particular leader. 
a particular preacher, a particular pastor, a particular writer, a particular thinker, when all of a sudden, man, we begin to venerate them, and whatever they says goes, and man, it's a competition between Paul and Apollos and Cephas, or Piper and Keller and Platt, or who we kind of want to throw into that mix. And Paul is saying, look, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. What this is about is about Jesus and his gospel. So let's listen to those, not false teachers, but true teachers who will teach the gospel of Christ. Paul laid down his life so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for them. Number three, unity is expressed in gospel fellowship. All right? Unity is expressed in gospel fellowship. He he finishes his reflection in verse 7, and he says that there was full agreement between Peter, James, and John, and himself and Barnabas and Titus. So look in verse 7. It says, uh, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through, mine, for, through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what we have going on here is agreement between the leadership in Jerusalem and Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. He says that they gave the right hand of fellowship, okay? This was more than a simple gesture, all right? This was a, a, a symbol that they were united around the same commitment to God and consequently had the same commitment, a shared commitment to one another. And he says that this happened when two things happened, all right? And so when we we look, we read carefully these verses, he says, hey, when this happened and when this happened is when we experienced true partnership and fellowship in the gospel, all right? And let me just say before I give you those, to whatever degree you experience these things with another friend will be a barometer of how deep a friendship you truly have and can potentially have. You with me on that? So if you're experiencing these things, then your fellowship, your friendship, your partnership can be very, very deep. And that's what hopefully we're all after. All right, so what were they? Number one, he says they shared a common faith in the gospel. Look back at verse seven. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel. So once again, their understanding of the gospel was perfectly aligned. God was at work in both Peter and Paul because they had the same gospel preaching the same message just to two different groups of people, as verse 8 tells us. Paul was primarily taking the gospel to the Gentile world, and Peter was focused primarily on the Jewish world. So we see here that if you do not have the gospel in common, you will not experience all God has for you. And this is why. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this is a good word for dating relationships, certainly marriages, okay, that that believers should marry believers, okay, this is what the Bible tells us, but it's way beyond that. Our friendships, our our deepest friendships in life 
should be centered around the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. And that doesn't mean when I'm reading the gospel of Luke and it says Jesus was a friend of sinners, that I don't want to be exactly like Jesus and be a friend of sinners. But what it does mean is that I'm going to spend my best time and I'm going to, to make sure that I am building gospel community into the rhythm of my weekly life. So it's not just Tanner out in the world only hanging out with non-Christians, but it's Tanner accomplishing both gospel community and gospel mission. So they shared a common faith in the gospel. The message was the same. Number two, they shared a common grace to live out the gospel. We see this word when again in verse nine. He says, and when they saw, they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship. So, so in other words, they didn't just see that Paul was speaking the same message, but they were seeing that Paul actually lived out the message that he proclaimed. There was grace written on Paul's life. Let me ask you, is there grace written on your life? I mean, when people meet you, when people hang out with you for any length of time where they say, you know what, God's grace is present in that person. But here's the beautiful thing about grace. The beautiful work of the Spirit of God is that when grace is at work in you, it will be magnetic. People will want to spend time with you because the grace of God is at work in you. I mean, when I'm hanging out with people that, that are, are, are filled with the grace of God, I can't wait to just spend more time with them. Man, when can we get together again? I hope it's not too long because I'm always so refreshed. I'm so always, always so encouraged. I'm always so built up in Christ. So they had a common faith in the gospel. They shared a common grace to live out the gospel. And then finally, they shared a common mission to spread the gospel. So he finishes up and he says, when they gave us the right hand of fellowship, they, they agreed that we would go to the, to the Gentiles and they would go to the circumcised. Verse nine. So, so, so gospel community is also built around gospel mission. So let me make this very practical. I do not need to spend a lot of time with Caleb and Tiffany Coppinger, who serve in Southeast Asia. They're here for about a year, walking with us, um, doing some studies, and they're going to be headed back overseas. I don't need to spend a lot of time with them to know that we are about the same gospel and the same mission, because we're already there. So, 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 so we have community built in because the gospel and the mission that it calls us to is in lockstep. Does that make sense? So if you're about the same mission, it's going to build community that you will then experience. So let's never pit community against mission and mission against community. They go together all the time. All right? We're a community that's on mission together with the gospel. We're a gospel community on mission. Our gospel compels us to be about mission in community. Okay, you got that? I mean, you can just kind of keep saying that like three or four or 15 different ways, and it's saying all the same thing, that the gospel builds this community that's on mission together, and they always go together. This is brought home further in verse 10, which brings us to our final point. Unity is enhanced through gospel implications. 
What, is, what does Paul say in, in verse 10? He says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So what's going on here is, as Peter, before Paul leaves, he says, hey, I know we're on the same page when it comes to the gospel, but Paul, would you make sure that you remember the poor, that you take care of the poor, that you collect offerings for the poor, probably referring to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were impoverished and under persecution. And Paul doesn't have to hesitate even for a moment because he's saying the gospel that compels you to be about mission to the poor, giving to the poor, is the same gospel that is at work in me, compelling me to give to the poor and to be generous to the poor. So he says, Peter, look, before you even ask, man, I'm excited about this. I'm eager to give myself away because the gospel compels us to be about the very same thing the same God they worshiped, who has a regard for the poor, is the same God whose gospel compels us to take care of the poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus, though he was eternally rich, the eternal son of God, receiving endless worship in heaven, wrapped on human flesh, became poor, walked the streets of this earth, so that we through his poverty might become rich. And so this God who has a regard for the poor, both the physical poor and the spiritually poor, now Paul is going to say, because you see this in Jesus, this is why you should be so generous to those in need. So as a church, we want everything to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms the way we, number one, just look at people. I mean, how do you look at the poor? What's your perspective of them? Oh, man, they didn't work hard. They got themselves into this mess. Is that how you think? But because but by the grace of God, that's where you would be too. So, so we don't look at people from a, from a worldly perspective. We look with spiritual eyes, spiritual lenses. We want to, to get to know people, to have some compassion, okay? Even if they might have made a few mistakes, I get that. I make a few mistakes weekly myself, all right? But, but, but now we look at them differently. We care for them differently. And this goes way beyond care for the poor. What drives us to gospel evangelism and mission? It's the gospel. What, what compels us to have strong marriages? Go read Ephesians 5. It's the gospel. What, what compels us to serve others? Why do people wake up really early on Sunday mornings to serve at Redemption Hill and then to sacrifice their time and volunteer out in the community with our Serve Medford efforts? It's because we see in Christ a servant who took a towel and washed his disciples' feet. The gospel compels us to serve. The gospel compels us in all of these areas of life. So if you want to know why John Chastain is one of my best friends, it's not because we just serve together here at Redemption Hill. It's not, it's not it. 
is because the gospel is driving us to be about the very same things. So if if you experience the gospel in a deep way with another person, it's going to build up your sense of community and unity with one another. So if you want deeper friendships, I would say go deeper with the gospel and find other people who are going deeper with the gospel. And if you can't find anyone going deeper with the gospel, share the gospel with someone, teach them how to go deeper with the gospel, and then you'll have a new friend. How about that? Amen. Yeah, that's pretty good. Let me say one other thing about gospel unity, okay? There will be times in the life of Redemption Hill Church when we don't agree on everything. There will be times when you may question some of the decisions that leaders make and our ministry teams and all that. But let me just say this. The gospel keeps us united. The mission that God has for us keeps us united. So if we're family in Christ, there should be nothing that happens that we can't work through because we love one another and because we're rallied around the same gospel to say, hey, let's, let's get back on the same page because we have this unity in Christ and we're compelled to be about the same mission. Let's never let Satan drive a wedge, which he will try to do again and again and again. Let's never let him drive a wedge into what God is doing in the life of our church. So what's, 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 what's the message here? What does the gospel do? The gospel creates a new people who know Christ, love Christ, serve Christ, worship Christ. So I want to ask you today, have you experienced the salvation that Jesus died to bring, or are you trying to earn your way to God's approval through your own performance? Jesus died so that you might have life in him and experience the free grace of God that can change you from the inside out. So if you have not, as Paul talked about last week, come to that point where Jesus has been revealed to you. You see your need for him and your your current life has become a former life. Then I wanna invite you to respond today. If if you wanna take this connect card and just say, you know what? I have questions about Jesus and Christianity. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe maybe some of you are saying, I wanna know more how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. Maybe some of you have just made that decision. You wanna let us know that so that we can help encourage you and grow you in the faith. But then others of you are saying, you know what, I'm in with Christ. I'm not trying to earn my way to God's approval. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to grow in him and grow in community. When we get the gospel, then we will get gospel community. So if you want to take some next steps with this community of faith, maybe it's community groups, maybe it's church membership, maybe it's serving, whatever the case may be, check that box, fill it out so that we can continue on with this awesome mission that God has for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would run it deep into our souls now. That you would show us what it means to be gospel family, to be gospel community, to have this unity that's centered around the gospel.
Lord, we pray that for anyone that, that is, is trying to get to heaven around the cross of Christ, Lord, that you would show them what Jesus has done and that they would receive his gift of salvation. And Father, we pray for, for those of us who are still tempted to, to slide back into legalism and we feel more love, more, more accepted by you because of our performance, Lord. We know that we all need your grace to be freed from legalism. So Father, we pray that you would do that now, that you would build up this community so that this community of faith might glorify you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.